Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to episode 91 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Davro, and today, instead of being joined by the normal crew, I am joined by Matt Corey of The Athletic by request. Uh, so Matt, welcome back to the podcast. You've been on uh, once this year, I think, but uh, not not as much as you used to be. So we're really happy to have you back. Thanks, Jake. It's uh, wonderful to be here and talk Red Sox with you guys, uh, or just you in this particular case. Um, yeah, always always good to do that. So um, Matt, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh, on the Twitter at uh, Matty Matty two thousand is the Twitter handle, and uh, I'm. Uh, I'm at the Athletic Boston, so you can find my stuff uh, there at the Athletic or theathletic.com backslash Boston, or I think backslash Red Sox also works. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's me. Got a lot of stuff coming up in the pipeline, so um, you can check me out at that at that spot. Yeah, I can't encourage everybody to do that enough. Uh, if you haven't gotten a subscription to the Athletic, it is both reasonable and very good. Uh, and Matt writes a whole lot, and that whole crew uh, is really good. Who are some of the other people that you write with over there at the Athletic Boston? Uh, Chad Jennings um, and Jen McCarthy are the the two um, that uh, that cover the the Sox on a regular basis. Um, they're they're there at the games and uh, and, and doing doing the, the beat to McCaffrey. I'm sorry, uh, I said McCarthy, and then, then I, in my head I went, <laughs> that's not right. But I, then I kept talking anyway. Um, 
anyway, uh, and and they're uh, they're doing a fantastic job covering the covering the team on a you know day in day out basis, traveling and asking the hard questions and the good questions and all that sort of stuff, and and I'm doing more step back kind of analysis, uh, outsider kind of stuff, um, and uh, so that's that's mostly mostly us three. Um, Chad just did a fantastic piece on the Jimmy Fund, actually, that was getting a whole lot of play, bouncing all over the the, the Twitter uh, verse. So that's that's absolutely worth uh, checking out. And and I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a free trial that you can get by going to theathletic.com and and signing up. I think they'll give you one or two weeks free, um, just right off the bat, just to check it all out. So I definitely encourage people to do that. Great year for the Jimmy Fund too. And we should mention that uh, they uh, raised a little over four and a half million dollars over that weekend. So very impressive. They do great work. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let's get to baseball, Matt. Um, All right. <laughs> after uh, uh, about a week there of uh, not so good baseball and a really dismal weekend, the Red Sox are now winning again. Uh, it is over lowly Miami, uh, but we will take it at this point. Um, but overall, August has been a little bit of a tough month for the Red Sox. Um, what have you kind of diagnosed from watching the team every day as reasons as to why the team has struggled in August, relatively well, speaking? It, yeah, I think it's a lot of things. Um, you know, I mean, the for one thing, it's really, really hard to win 115 games in a 162-game season, right? And that's that's where the Red Sox were headed before August. Um, I mean, they were on a historic or near historic pace of, of winning. And, you know, it's hard to say that's that's not sustainable because they had sustained it that long. But, you know, there's there's injuries and there's there's you know regression and there's bad luck and there's there's all these little things poking around the edges that are, you know, trying to slow you up. And that's that's kind of, I think, you know, what what ended up happening. Um, you know, the, the Red Sox have kind of, you know, some of their best hitters have kind of slowed down. Mookie's had kind of a slower month. I mean, still good, but, but slower, you know, Ben and Tandy too. Um, you know, there's some injuries. Moreland is, is beat up. Um, you know, especially on the pitching staff that, that seems to finally, you know, be slowing the team up. It seems like every, every other game is started by Brian Johnson or Hector Velasquez. And, you know, those guys are, are fine for what they are, but they're, they're just not great pitchers, and they're going to get hit around every now and again. Um, so it, it just, uh, you know, and then, of course, the, the, we've all seen that, you know, the bullpen has, has been, uh, you know, a problem. Mostly it seems like walks have, have been a big problem for the bullpen. So, I, you know, we may be getting into that a little more later. Um, but, and I, the other thing I think, you know, is the schedule has been harder. Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're, we're in kind of a, a little bit of a lull right here, you know, with Miami and the White Sox. But, um, you know, before that, four games against Cleveland, you know, a bunch of games against the Yankees. Um, you know, the Rays obviously are, are no pushover, um, even though we beat up on them and we, because I'm on the Red Sox, uh, beat up on them <laughs> earlier uh, in, in the year. But, you know, they're they're a good team and, and they just might, I don't, I haven't looked this up, but they, might have the hardest schedule in in baseball even though they play the Orioles a whole bunch of times obviously you know they they've got what 40 38 games against the Yankees and and Red Sox two hundred and five hundred and ten 110 win teams yeah that's ridiculous actually Fangraphs just wrote about that 
Oh yeah. Okay. There yeah. You go. Uh, they are in the top uh, fourth of the league in most difficult schedules uh, down the stretch. So they're certainly, uh, <clears throat> like you said, they're they're playing some really good clubs down the stretch. And conversely, the Yankees are in the bottom fourth in terms of yeah. schedule difficulties. So, yeah, certainly the the Sox are at a disadvantage there right now. Yeah, so I would say it's you know it's it's probably all of that stuff, and and none of that figures to really go away immediately. You know, I mean, I, I think there's a really good shot that the Red Sox can be pretty healthy by the time they reach the playoffs. Um, you know, a seven and a half game lead at the very end of August. Is pretty good. Uh, that's not, uh, you know, you, you have to kind of work to blow that one. Yeah. Um, even even with six games against the team that's right behind you, um, you know, you still have to work to blow that one. Right, because even uh, if you go, you know, two and four in that series, right. you, that's only a two-game swing. Right, exactly. It's just, yeah. it's not very big. Right. Um, so I mean, like you noted, the Yankees have a really easy schedule the rest of the way. So that's just something the Red Sox will, are going to have to contend with. I, I think the goal should be for the Red Sox, quite honestly. I mean, obviously, you want to win the division, but I think you want to be four games up on the Yankees with three left. So those last three in Fenway against the Yankees just don't matter. Um, and that way you can really start to set things up for the playoffs. Um, and I, I, I think I think that's entirely doable and, and, a, and a fair expectation based on where the team is now. So based on where the club is now, do you still believe that they're going to finish with the best record in the American League? Um, yeah, I, I I would expect they will. I mean, they've got a 10-game lead on Houston. Right. Um, you know, and, and what are they I, – I can't do this math this quickly, but the Indians have, what, 76 wins and the Red Sox have 92? I mean, that that's kind of yeah. – the Indians are not going to catch them. Um it would take I mean, a real heater for one of these clubs to even come close. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the team with the best record in the American League is going to be the team that wins the East. So if the Red Sox win the East, therefore they will have the best record. Um, so I I, w- I would expect that. Now that that said, you know, I was reading the other day, Houston, based on at least um, you know runs allowed and runs scored. Um, you know, if you go to Baseball Prospectus and look at their first, second, third order winning percentages. Um, you know, the Red Sox obviously have the best first order winning percentage, which is just wins and losses. But when you start looking at runs allowed and then derivative of runs allowed and r- runs scored and allowed, you you get into situations where the the Astros are actually labeled a better team. Interesting. So, How close yeah. is that for for second and third order wins between the Red Sox and Astros? Uh, well, I don't have it in front of me. I can look it up. Um, but I. Yesterday, before yesterday's game, and, and obviously the Red Sox scored a ton of runs, so that, that may change things. Um, but uh, yesterday, I think the Astros had better second and third order winning percentages than the Red Sox um, by by a good little bit. Hmm. Wow. Um, That's surprising to me because when you look at run differential, the teams are really, really similar in that category. Yeah, they are. Um, I think part of it has to do with the Red Sox record, you know, in one-run games. Right. Um, the Red Sox are much better against one-run games. There, there may be something in there about um, strength of schedule, um, you know, other stuff like that. Yeah, they, uh, they've certainly got some good BABIP luck this year, too. So, yeah, there's a lot of different factors, I think, that could weigh into that. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was 
um, where the team ranks in September in a number of categories, or uh, mm-hmm. in, in August, I should say, uh, in a number of categories when looking at hitting, um, starting pitching, and bullpen. Because I was actually surprised today to, to figure out what I found out when I looked mm-hmm. at this. Um, where would you guess that the Red Sox ranked in terms of uh, weighted runs created plus as a team in August? You had to take a guess. Um, I would guess right around, I don't know, league average. Like, yeah, so like 15-ish out of 30 clubs. That's what you'd guess, right around Oh, 100. like weighted runs created plus, I would say like 100. I don't know where it ranks. Yeah. I'm, I'm just guessing, yeah. So probably roughly somewhere in there. Are they worse than that? No, uh, far better, in fact. Uh, the Red Sox were first in all of baseball. With a wow. 121 weighted runs created plus in August. In uh, August? Only in August? <laughs> yeah, in August. Only in August they were first in all of baseball. That's crazy. So the offense has not been the thing holding this team back. So it must have been the pitching, right? So I looked at the starting pitching. Where would you think the starters ranked in terms See, of just, the league? <laughs> this whole segment is going to make me sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll do better with the pitching. I mean, I would say probably somewhere in the, you know, in the, I don't know, 10 to 12 range. So pitching ranked 17th in baseball, so not too okay. far off, with a 4.22 ERA for starters. And then bullpen was just slightly better. Uh, 15th in baseball, right middle of the pack at 3.91 ERA. Um, so it has actually been starting pitching that has been the biggest weakness uh, yeah. In the month of August, and especially, you know, coming into the last couple of games, um, you know, a few weird things happen, and Price ends up getting hit in the hand, so he doesn't get to deliver a quality start. But the eight starts previous to uh, the 28th, the last time before they started this series, um, starters have been getting really banged up to the tune of about a six and a half ERA when they were going out for the Red Sox. So things have right. been pretty ugly there. What have you kind of seen? as the biggest struggles? Do you think it's health, fatigue? I mean, what is holding these guys back right now? I think it's probably all those things. Yeah, I mean, not, not to, you know, cop out and just, you know, eat all of the above, but, you know, they, they've thrown a lot of innings, and there's there's been, you know, injuries in the pitching staff kind of up and down the, the rotation since the year started. Uh, and so there's guys, you know, going in and out kind of perpetually. I mean, the you know you've had Porcello and um, Price have both pitched five games this um, this month. Um, so is Ivaldi, but obviously they just got him. Um, other than that, Sales thrown one. Uh, Rodriguez hasn't thrown one at all. Uh, Hector Velasquez has started three games. Uh, Brian Johnson has started five games. Uh, Pomerantz started a game. So that's, I mean, that's it right there. You're, and that's that's kind of why I'm not too worried about the postseason. Mm-hmm. I don't think Drew Pomerantz, Hector Velasquez, or Brian Johnson are getting any postseason starts. Um, uh, I, would, I guess I would hope it's not. possible I mean, Johnson might. Yeah. I was just going to say, out of all of those guys, he's the most likely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely the most likely. But, you know, between Sale and Price and Porcello – presuming they're all healthy because, you know, who knows at this point. Uh, but presuming they're all healthy, 
those are your probably your three starters in in the first series, yep. right? And then in the second series, hopefully Eduardo Rodriguez is healthy. Um, he's coming back this weekend, so we should get a firsthand look at how he looks. Um, and my guess is he's your number four starter. Yeah, I would agree. And with that's that. all you need. Yeah, uh, and I mean even Ivaldi, the guy they you know traded one of their top prospects to get, may not knock on wood, uh, make the postseason um, roster as a starter. I would expect he will be in the bullpen. Um, and that's, you know, this is another thing that maybe you don't worry about the bullpen quite as much. You know, the, the first series is going to feature those three guys. And then you've got Eduardo Rodriguez coming out of the bullpen and Ivaldi coming out of the bullpen. I mean, that's pretty good. Both of those guys pretty good pitchers and you would imagine that their stuff will play up in the pen a little bit they should be good relievers yeah when you spell it out like this it does seem like there's less to worry about with the starting pitchers than there is Mm -hmm. with the bullpen even though the bullpen numbers have been slightly better in august because when you look at the pen and how the pen has performed in august then you look at the individuals you think about the guys who have been used in high leverage situations most this year heath Hembry, matt barnes craig kimbrell uh, guys like that Hembry in uh, August, 7.36 ERA. Barnes in August, 9.64 ERA. Kimbrell in August, 4.50 ERA. Guys that you wouldn't expect to be having good uh, months. Thornburg, 3.38 ERA. Workman, 2.19. Kelly, 1.54. Might be rounding into form there. And then Ryan Brazier with a 1.64 ERA. Uh, Brazier's been the only guy out of that group who throws high inning, uh, high leverage innings, who has actually been consistent throughout that month. Yeah, and there's there's other guys in there who I would be maybe you know less concerned about also like like uh, you know Brandon Workman, um, you know Matt Barnes has a nine six ERA. You may have just said that you know for the month. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really not that worried about Matt Barnes. Like he's still striking out a lot of people. He actually walked fewer people this month. Um, you know he's kind of getting victimized by by home runs and and BABIP a little bit. Um, I still think he's a really good pitcher. I would still, you know, unless there's something else going on that I don't know about, that's some injury or whatever. Um, I haven't noticed a velocity drop, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be too worried about about him. You know I think I think he is what he is. He's just having a rough spot. He's not a great great pitcher, but he's a he's a good reliever. Um, yeah, I agree with you about Kelly. By the way, I think I think Kelly's pitched remarkably well, kind of shockingly. Um, and the one guy I'd push back on is, is Thornburg, who just doesn't get any strikeouts. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and he, like a lot of the other guys, walks too many guys. So especially for how many strikeouts he gets, I, I kind of feel, and I may have said this last time I was on the podcast, but uh, I kind of feel like Thornburg just needs an offseason. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, just to sort of— Proper offseason. Yeah. yeah, just to kind of relax, get his body some rest, get, um, you know, rev up in the proper way. Um and maybe maybe he'll find his old velocity again. I mean, I was looking at his numbers today, and his velocity is down two to three miles per hour, depending on where you look, which isn't you know necessarily death, but you're talking about 95 to 92, so it's it's definitely something. And and it's kind of across the board too. It's 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 with his uh, his secondary pitches also. So um, he's he's got I think some some health still to go. But he's definitely not the pitcher he was in Milwaukee. He's not the guy that they gave up Travis Shaw for. 
No, that's for sure. Stuff yeah. is diminished, and he has stretches where he does look like that pitcher, but uh, yeah. stuff just doesn't back it up. Um, you haven't been on the podcast since the fun story of uh, Ryan Brazier's emergence here. Um, I'm of the opinion that he's maybe the second best reliever on the team right now, uh, just the way that he's pitched since he's come up. Um, wh- what do you think of him, and what do you think of the potential that he is used as that guy right behind Kimbrell if he continues to do this throughout the month of September? I mean, his numbers look really good. Uh, you know, he's undoubtedly getting you know, lucky a little bit. Um, you know, his BABIP is super low and he's, you know, he's got a left on base percentage of 89%, which is, you know, 19% above what you, what you'd expect it to be. Um, but he started striking out more guys. So his, I think his strikeout numbers are trending upwards and he's one of the few guys in the bullpen who doesn't walk too many guys. Um, that, that's one thing that I think we saw the other day when, when, when Kimbrell melted down and gave up the lead in the ninth. He's, he got an out, and then I think he walked the next two guys. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm making hand gestures, which you can't see because this is a podcast. <laughs> but uh, but it, it is hard to, even with the number of strikeouts Kimbrell gets, it's hard to have success when you walk two guys in an inning. Um, you know, you just get, get a bad luck hit, which he got. Um, and you give give up a real hit, which he did, and that's that. Uh, you just don't give yourself any margin for error whatsoever. And and Brazier does give himself that margin for error because he just he hasn't been walking guys. And uh, if he continues to do that, I I like his chances to be uh, you know a, a good reliever. I I think all the guys in that bullpen have some flaw. There's there's no perfect Craig Kimbrell like last year, right? He doesn't exist in the Red Sox pen. So it's sort of up to Alex Cora to mix and match people in the right spots. I know he was using Hembry when there was runners on base. Hembry walks too many guys too, but that was that, you know that was working out, I guess. Um, but uh, you know, I think I think Brazier is maybe a better option in that scenario. He doesn't strike out as many guys as um, as Hembry does, but he's not putting extra guys on base either. So there is there's something to that, and he's he's got a decent ground ball rate, so. Uh, anyway, I, I think if, if Cora makes and matches, you know, righty lefty situationally looking for ground balls, uh, guys on base, that kind of thing. I think I think he can be a successful bullpen. I think if he sort of falls back on, you're a sixth inning guy, you're a seventh inning guy, you're an eighth inning guy. I think that's going to be problematic. So I, I think the upcoming expansion of the rosters is going to be really beneficial to the Red Sox as a whole because yes. when you look at Hembry, you look at Barnes, you look at Kimbrell, even Kelly, these are guys that have been used a lot this year. Hector Velasquez has been used a lot. I mean, there are some guys that you probably don't want to use almost at all anymore and Drew Pomerantz, you know. There are a lot of these pitchers that the Red Sox just kind of need to get off their feet uh, and keep them from pitching right now uh, because (laughs) they're clearly burnt out. Um, And I think Barnes is sort of the poster boy for that. Maybe Barnes and Henry both. Um, But do you think that just that alone, the expansion of the rosters and bringing up some of that depth from AAA, because there are a few guys that are going to get activated. Uh, Steven Wright's one of them. We already talked Mm. about, um, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez coming back, and then guys like Travis Lakins are expected to be added and come up, and there's a few other relievers down at Pawtucket that should be able to come up and throw some innings. 
Do you think that alone will be helpful to these guys to sort of take a deep breath, get their arms feeling good, and uh, get that release point back to where it's supposed to be? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think that's going to be quite helpful. And, you know, Cora and the coaching staff presumably know who is, you know, dealing with this injury and that injury and pitching through it. And I, I would suspect that, you know, some guys will be um, will be rested a lot more than others. And, and hopefully that'll, you know, help smooth things out for, for the postseason also. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, looking forward to seeing some of these young guys uh, come up. It's always fun to see young players and, and uh, you know, what, what, whatever they can do at the major league level. I'm, I'm interested in who they decide to bring up to. I mean, you mentioned Lakins. He's not on the 40-man, so mm-hmm. they would have to do something. I think I don't think they have any room on the 40-man. They don't. Uh, yeah, they would have to do something. Um, and, you know, they, most of the guys who are injured are um, – already on 60-day DL who are going to be on the 60-day DL. Actually, so, I'm wrong. They do have 39 guys on the 40-man right now. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have any idea if Lakins would need to be added over the over the winter? Um, let me check real quick. Um, uh, yes, it looks like he would because December okay. 18th is when he's qualified for Rule 5 status. Okay. So in that case, then, yeah, it makes sense to add him and, and, and bring him up if they're going to. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's uh, that's certainly uh, something that's going to help help the team. It's going to hopefully rest the team. And, and on top of that, um, you know, th- there may be some of these guys like Lakins who will have success coming out of the pen, and that may make the Red Sox reevaluate some things. You know, it, is, um, is Joe Kelly going to make the – um, make the postseason roster. Are, are you going to have Tyler Thornburg on the postseason roster? I think the answer to that may be no already, but but still. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I, I think it's there'll be a little bit of like spring training type of competition almost, and and that that should be um, fun to watch and, and I think good for the team considering what their goals are. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's going to be great for the team to have a little bit of competition back there because when I look at it, I don't think Pomerantz is a sure thing for that roster. I don't think Velasquez, Workman. I don't even know, even though Kelly has turned a corner, if Kelly is really a sure thing, if he starts to dip again, because he had two months with an ERA above eight. So uh, as much as they've trusted him over the years, you know, I don't know if that spot's safe. So I think a guy like Lakins, if he comes up and pitches really well, could make a good enough impression that they decide to run with him throughout the postseason. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. Um I mean, you know who else is, who's had a... Oh, I just closed the document. That was stupid. I, had, <laughs> uh, I just had it, and I was going to spit some names at you. Oh, uh, you know, Robbie Scott has actually had a fantastic season in AAA, mm-hmm. um, and he's on the 40-man, too. Um, and he's lefty, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, so, I mean, ob- you know, the Red Sox obviously hate left-handed relievers as much as they love left-handed starters. Um, <laughs> it's odd, isn't but, it? Yeah, the, well, I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm being facetious, but... Uh, but I think uh, I, I think he might have, you know, there, there may be an argument for a guy like that um, on the on the postseason uh, roster. Um, Bobby Pointer has pitched well as well. Uh, he's also pitched well when he was called up earlier in the year. Um, Lakins, you mentioned, and the other guy that everybody loves to to mention is is the the recent draftee, what's third round or I think Durbin Feltman, but he's still in high A, uh, and so I don't anticipate him doing anything uh, anywhere close to the majors this year. I, I, 
I feel like the Red Sox thought maybe there was a chance that they might they might want to rush him, and and then he got, you know, into the system, and they they probably they took a look at him, and and they thought no, it's better if we just let this guy kind of rise on his own, and and he has moved up two levels too. He's you know he's still pitching well in high A, but um, I don't think that uh, I don't think there's a spot for him on on either the 40 man or on the postseason roster. Yeah, we we always plug the good work that the Sox prospects guys do on. Yeah, here, they're fantastic. But, uh... Yeah, they they really do a good job. But Ian uh, was talking about um, the fact that whenever Feltman has pitched back-to-back days, which has been few and far between, uh, he's been a different pitcher. So he basically goes out there when he's got a lot of rest and just wrecks people at all these lower levels because his stuff really probably could play in a major league bullpen right now. It's just the fact that he's coming off of a college season and – the dude's yeah. tired, and that's probably the biggest reason when we'll get to it later why he isn't going to be on the Arizona Fall League roster. Yeah, yeah, that that makes complete sense, and I I, I think his you know he's an exciting it's exciting prospect, especially for a system that just doesn't possess a whole lot uh, of of exciting prospects. I mean, you know, there's there's a few guys that you can see, you know, impacting a major league roster at some point for sure, but it's always good to add a guy who you think can can pitch in the majors and. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he was up, you know, towards the end of next year, maybe. Um, but again, like like you pointed out, you know, the, there's only one more spot left on the 40 man, and they just drafted him. They don't need to move him up and kick out some someone else. You know, when you move someone off the 40 man, you risk losing them to another team for nothing. You're, you're giving away talent, and so you want to make sure that, you know, that that you're not giving away talent that that you need or 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 want. Um, and so. There's no reason to do that if, at this point, if, if he's not going to help, like you pointed out. So yeah, I, I think he's a, he's an exciting guy. Someone definitely Red Sox fans should be aware of, but but that's that's further down the line. Yeah, one of the other guys who I think is an interesting possibility, and uh, Matt Collins wrote about this today at Over the Monster, um, is uh, Phillips, uh, Brendan Brendan Phillips uh, coming up, uh, and Matt's uh, thought is that possibly. He could get Tony Renda's spot on the 40-man uh, and come up in September. So it'd be interesting to see if a veteran like that could play any role down the stretch and maybe uh, give some of the other infielders on the team a little bit of a break. Well, you know what's interesting? So I wrote at The Athletic a day or two ago a, a piece about how the Red Sox could potentially add Josh uh, Josh Donaldson. Um, and at a, you know, a fraction of the cost of what he might have cost earlier. Or normally, um, because of the situation that the Jays are in, uh, because the situation Donaldson is in, um, and the money situation. Anyway, it all kind of works out to this incredible buy low opportunity, which may end up being nothing uh, if if he's not able to play. Um, and Phillips is sort of like, I mean, obviously he's already in the Red Sox system. He doesn't have nearly the upside that Donaldson does. But I I kind of have been rethinking this a little bit because um nunez eduardo nunez has been pl- hitting really well yeah over the last i don't know what it is couple weeks and, and running he, he well had, too he looks great going he does down the line. yeah he does he, he's got his speed he's got his legs under him when he's hitting i mean he's he's a flawed player you know there's no question about that he but when he when he's hitting he he can help a club and he hasn't been hitting really all year um but and i haven't looked at the numbers um so i'm not sure when this exactly started but i i noticed it like this week 
um, that he's really been he's really been contributing with the bat, which is which is great. And it doesn't seem like he's hitting a lot of weak flares that are sort of falling in front of outfielders. He's actually you know hitting the ball hard. I mean, the home run he hit the other day that went went right over the monster just just barely. Like he crushed that ball. Yeah, he did. Um, and so I, you know, I, I kind of wonder if the Red Sox need to even bother taking a chance on a, on a guy like Donaldson who, I mean, if you can get him for nothing, maybe you do that. But, uh, you know, but if, if Nunez is, is going to, is going to actually be the guy that you hoped him, uh, hoped he was. And the reason, you know, you, you gave him a two year deal at the, you know, at the end of last year, um, maybe, maybe you just sort of ride that. Maybe you don't you don't really need to take a chance on on Donaldson or Phillips for that matter. Yeah, I think the Donaldson possibility is really interesting. And when you wrote about that, I was kind of thinking to myself like how amazing that would be to add a healthy Josh Donaldson to yeah. this already potent Red Sox offense, and it would almost be like playing a video game with the cheat codes on at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. If he is healthy, but the thing, the more I read about his injuries, it just seems like. His legs are still sort of a, a hot mess right now, and um, I'm yeah. not confident that he's even going to be able to get on the field this year. Yeah, he played uh, one rehab game on Tuesday. He went one for three, and then he wasn't going to be – I mean, he was supposed to – You know, the, the whole point is the Jays are trying to rush him through some sort of rehab process so mm-hmm. they can quickly put him on the major league roster and then trade him is the idea uh, before the end of the month which is tomorrow, <laughs> uh, the 31st. Uh, and so he, they, were, they were trying to get in as many games as they could. Um, and then I think he's supposed to play one of, the, one of the games of the doubleheader today. But he reported having a whole bunch of soreness just from playing that one game um, on Tuesday. And so even if, if there had been a game the following day, which there wasn't, he would not have made the lineup. So, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, he hasn't played since, like, May. Uh, and so the, the timing is dubious, right? They yeah. just try to rush him through this process and, and get him out on the field and like, then they can kick him out the door. Um, and I, you, you just have to wonder what the, you know, if, if maybe it's just not best for him to just shut it down and come back and, you know, see what, the see what the market has for him this off season, which is probably going to be pretty sad, but yeah, he, he lost still. himself probably uh, $80 million or so by being injured this year. It's uh it is oh, sad to see that at least. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if he's healthy, I'm, I'm obviously totally with you. I mean, it, it would be, that would be fantastic. And um, you know, one thing about it is if the Red Sox can get him for nothing and they have a spot on the 40 man, then you just, you bring him in and hopefully, uh, you know, he gets healthy over the course of the month. You play him occasionally and, and build him up to the point where maybe he can DH or play some third, you know, in, in the playoffs. That would be, you know, that would be worth it. Yeah, it sure would. Even if even if you don't get him on the field till, you know, almost playoff time, that's yeah. that's totally worth it to have a weapon like that in the postseason. Uh, imagine, imagine seeing him coming off the, the bench as a pinch hitter in a game. Oh, I know. That'd, that'd be that'd be great. Um, and your original point about about Phillips stands also. I mean, he's obviously already in the organization. I think I said that already. Um, and so, you know, there's no acquisition cost. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe they bring him up and, and give him a shot uh, to make the, you know, to make the postseason roster. 
Um, but I kind of feel like, you know, Brock Holt's been hitting, Nunez has been hitting. Where's the where's the spot for a guy like that? Like yeah. unless there's unless there's the upside uh, that Donaldson possesses. Obviously Donaldson at, and when he's healthy, much better hitter than Brock Holt, much better hitter than Eduardo Nunez. Um, but in, you know, in, in Phillips' case, that that upside doesn't exist. So yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, so a few more guys that are going to be activated in September. We mentioned them just in passing. Rafael Devers should come back from the hamstring injury and start to get some playing time. Um, but the really interesting guy is Christian Vasquez. So I wanted to get your opinion on what's going to sh- shake out with the catcher situation here in September. They're going to have basically September to see you know, who they want to roll with in the postseason uh, with Vasquez and Swihart and uh, Sandy Leon. It certainly seems like it's Sandy Leon's job. And it certainly seems like uh, Swihart deserves to to stay in there. What do you ultimately think ends up happening with this trio of catchers? Ultimately, my guess is there's a trade this uh, this off season. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't shock me if Vasquez was the guy traded. That said, it's complicated because Vasquez is the one guy that they gave a long-term deal to <laughs> um now it's not going to be too much more than it would be if he just went year to year through arb anyway but um yeah i i mean i think you're right sandy leone is is this is the starter the pitching staff has a sandy leone fetish and he's you know been a been a big part of the team defensively at least um and they've managed to overcome his you know so far his meager offensive contributions um, and you know, I, I mean, you and I, obviously we, we think Swihart can hit, uh, and I've, I've been, I don't want to say impressed, but I, you know, it seems like he's a catcher. He can catch, right? I mean, yeah. he's caught the ball. You don't see him like stabbing his glove at it. You, you know, you don't see him, you know, missing the ball. He's, there's not like a ton of pass balls when he's catching. He can throw runners out. Um, I, I am not a, you know, a major league catching expert, uh, but everything I've seen indicates that the, the guy's fine. Uh, he, he's probably not ever going to have you know, the arm that Vasquez had when he came up before he had Tommy John surgery. Vasquez doesn't have that arm anymore either. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, 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 think, I think like our discussion in the bullpen – um, getting Vasquez back means that you can start giving guys some rest. Um, if you want Leon starting every game in the playoffs, then um, that's fine, but that's a lot of work to throw on a guy, and you're probably going to want him to be healthy, as healthy as you can get, as rested as you can get him beforehand. So use Vasquez and Swihart, you know, and, and give give Leon the rest that uh, that he obviously needs or, or should get, and um, you know, get him get him ready for the playoffs and then whoever is playing better at that time he's he's your backup that's yeah, what i would say I, I agree with you um i think that that's the smart move because clearly you're gonna roll with leon this year so get him some rest he's already been playing way more than he's used to uh, yeah. so, you, so you don't want a guy like that to wear down um 
Michael Walsh on our site over the monster wrote a really good article about the catching situation. It's a, it's a short read too. So I urge anybody who's interested in this to go out and check it out. Um, but basically Blake Swihart, um, before this year, before getting a chance at catching, um, had been a below average, uh, framer blocker of, uh, you know, the ball. Um, and this year when he's came up, obviously a very small sample size, but he's been worth one framing run and 0.2 blocking runs. So he's actually taken steps forward and, you know, we've seen that visually as well when we watch him. But yeah. the, the big thing with him is he does have elite pop times as well. And his arm is, in my opinion, worlds better than even Leon or Vasquez at this point, his arms amazing uh, when he does throw and And, uh, you know, he also pointed out in this article that, uh, Swihart has batted 311, 354, 443 uh, since June 24th. So uh, we always kind of, especially me and you, I say I say us, we've had confidence in his bat throughout this whole time. But now it's really cool to see some of those catching chops that all the scouting reports wrote about actually showing on the field. Yeah, and so you know we were just talking about Leon. If Leon is the starter, so. In the second half of the season, so July and August, I assume this is, maybe, oh, I probably, I'm looking at fan graphs, and they have the first half and second half split out, um, so this is probably mid-July or so, since the All-Star break. But in the second half of the season, Leon is hitting 115, he has a 198 on-base percentage, and he's slugging 205. That is a 403 OPS. Oof. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how great a defensive catcher he truly is um how great a game caller he truly is but boy is it hard to put a guy into the lineup regularly when he's hitting that badly so um if i can make an amendment to my earlier plan of sitting leon a lot and giving him rest i would sit him a lot and give him rest but i would maybe try to get him some games ahead of the playoffs too uh, give him some rest and then try to, to ease him into the lineup again. And if you can, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's uh, I I can already picture what Brian Joyner, Joyner would be shouting at me right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I I I just have such a hard time putting a guy who just can't hit into the lineup, regardless of how good a defensive player he is. Um, there's always games when for whatever reason you know eight of the guys on your team don't hit and you need that ninth guy to hit um and that's that's the difference between winning a game or losing a game um and you know anyway i i so that that those are my reservations with with leon which i've had most of the year but but that that second half slash line is just brutal i mean it is it is simply awful and I think, uh, I think, yeah, he's probably tired. Like you pointed out, he's played a lot of games, more than he usually does. Um, so maybe some rest will, will help him out. Um, I, you know, you don't need him to hit 350 with a 400 on base percentage. Um, you know, if he's hitting 250 with a 300 on base percentage, I think you call that a win. You throw him in the lineup. But 115 is just hard to deal with. Yeah, and to your point there, um, watching Blake Swihart and the time that he has gotten He's had some pretty big at-bats lately, especially over the last two weeks. 
uh, at-bats in key situations where he has come through with the stick. And that's just not something that we've seen at all from the other two catchers really at any point this year. Um, so that's what makes this whole package so enticing, right, is that Blake Swihart's entering his prime. He's getting better defensively as a catcher, and the offensive ceiling is just astronomically higher than either of the two, these two guys. So if if I was running the team, I would sure start figuring out in the offseason how I can start getting this guy more regular time behind the plate. and Maybe that's a 50-50 split to start next year, but transitioning this guy into – a future full-time role. I think that's sort of what he deserves. If that, if, I, I don't know, maybe he doesn't deserve that, but that's what I think he deserves. I mean, I think he can do it. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, what might be sort of off topic, Jake, so I apologize for this, but I was just thinking about September, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got these, all these different pitchers who, you know, swear by, by Sandy Leon Maybe see if you can get them to throw to Swihart a little bit. Maybe uh, maybe they'll be more willing to do it in the playoffs if necessary. I mean, if if Leon is just not going to hit at all, it's just so hard to put him into the lineup. Um, yeah, I think that's and, a you know, great you can, idea. You can do it when, you know, like, again, like I can hear Brian Joyner saying, you can do it when... When your team is on 110, 115 win pace, and and the pitching staff loves you, and everything is going fine, you know, at that point, okay, maybe you don't rock the boat, um, but the the win pace you're on doesn't matter in the playoffs, you know. In the first round, you get to lose three times. That's it. And once you lose three times, you're done. You get to lose twice, really. Um, and so it's just so hard to 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 put a guy like that in in your in your lineup every day and obviously the Red Sox are going to do it so that's going to be the way it is but um, but you just you just have so much less margin for error you know? if the Red Sox lost to the Marlins on Wednesday um, they would have lost a game in the standings they would have gone from seven and a half to six and a half they'd still be up six and a half games right. who, who often cares but um, you know the, the downside is just so small but in the playoffs the downside is huge um, and you really need everybody to be pulling on the cord all the time for it to work. So, anyway. so moving on here, a um, couple quick hits. Uh, David Price is expected to be okay after getting nailed in the wrist. Uh, Alex Cora expects him to take the ball for his next start, so that's uh, a big win. Uh, huge. One huge. Minor... Absolutely huge. Oh, if, yeah. If he'd had if he'd had major a major injury, I mean, he had a baseball tattooed on his wrist. After that hit, oh, yeah. you could see it walking off the mound. You could see the mark it made on his arm. But, I mean, he is. I, I know your feelings on David Price. He's been the second best pitcher on the Red Sox the second half of the season, and I would expect expect him to be the second pitcher, um, you know, starting for the Red Sox in Game Two. The the first pitcher starting for them in Game Two. The second starting pitcher for them in the playoffs. Um, and especially if, if Chris Sale's health is at all in question, which clearly it is, man, you need him so bad. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh, as much as I haven't liked him in the things that he does personally, uh, you know, to media members and things like that, uh, I have to say I've really come around on his pitching. Um, and I don't think there's any way that if you have eyes, you can't see that David Price has been pitching incredible. 
uh, in the second half. So yeah, I was I was very relieved when I saw that quote from Cora. Yeah, for sure. Um, minors notes here. Uh, Red Sox did announce who they are sending to Arizona Fall League. They're going to be sending uh, third baseman Michael Chavis, uh, as well as fellow third baseman Bobby Dalbeck, left-handed pitcher Darwinson Hernandez, who was recently promoted to Double A. Uh, Mike Schwarin, who's going to be pitching out of the bullpen, as is Darwin's and Hernandez. Uh, first baseman, Josh Akami. Second baseman, Esteban Quiroz, who was signed out of the Mexican League and was injured for most of this year. Right-handed pitcher, Teddy Stankiewicz, who is the only pitcher that Matt Collins ever sees when he goes to games. And <laughs> left-handed pitcher, Josh Taylor. So, uh, pretty robust crew uh, heading out to the Arizona Fall League and certainly... Uh, some names there, some some prospects, some top prospects for the Red Sox. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how these guys progress, and especially um, Javis with his questionable defensive home, uh, and, and Dahlbeck being good at first, uh, third base, I should say, is also going to get a little bit of time at first. So that should be very interesting as well. Um, I overall some reasons to uh, follow some Arizona Fall League baseball if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. The 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 thing that really intrigues me about that group is is the power. You know, we've all, we've complained for years about how the Red Sox farm system hasn't produced, you know, doesn't produce power hitters. Um, and I I, I think, uh, well, you know, that's maybe sort of silly considering the offense uh, <laughs> this year. I mean, you know, Mookie Betts and his however many home runs he has and you know obviously Ben Attendee hits home runs and, and whatever Xander this year yeah Xander is hitting home runs too yeah so yeah. um but um none of those guys really has like elite elite power I guess maybe you could say Mookie has elite power maybe I'll shut up about that but uh <laughs> it's good to see the Red Sox develop some uh some some more power hitters in in Dahlbeck and, and Chavis um you know I I, I sort of join the chorus of people wondering where they will fit in the major league roster, um, you know, Mitch Moreland is going to have another year on his deal. And so maybe there's a spot opening at first base, depending on how that goes or, uh, you know, what happens after that. Um, I think the Red Sox obviously want Raphael Devers to be their third baseman of the future uh, and of the present. If he can get his hamstrings healthy and, you know, improve at the plate a little bit um, against major league pitching, which I have every confidence he will do. Um, so I don't know that there's a spot open there. And obviously there's nothing open on the, uh, you know, in the outfield or uh, at, at DH as long as uh, J.D. Martinez is, is in town. So it's, it's sort of an open question where those guys fit. Um, and it's not hard for me to, to see them as, you know, Dave Dombrowski uh, trade bait for some NL Central relief pitcher. <laughs> oh no! Oh, uh, I, I really hope that's not what they're destined for. I hope if well, uh, he does trade him, it's for a, a good cost-controlled starter, and he's actually been able to do that effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I know I'm I'm sort of being mean about it, but I think uh, I think it's 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 fun and exciting when there's when there's guys who have obvious skills and. Uh, you know, who, who are coming up through the system and it's always, always good when they can get to the major league team and make a, make an impact. And, and so, you know, Arizona fall league is, is, uh, is good for that reason. I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I, but I believe it's a pretty, um, 
pitcher-centric league, so um, th- it, their numbers may not be fantastic just for that reason, uh, but still, two, two uh, power-hitting corner infielders who you know could impact the Red Sox roster in the near future. Yeah, and, and two guys in Chavis and Dahlbeck who, despite uh, you know a, a difficult home run environment out there, uh, certainly will not be affected by that. Both of these guys are uh, potential 70 uh, power guys. Dahlbeck probably is a true 70 power guy, and Chavis is like a 65, 70 power guy. So if they connect, that's uh, that ball's leaving. Yeah, I mean, I... Chavis is a smaller guy, but uh, you know we've seen, you know we've seen guys on the Red Sox roster right now uh, with with good power and not great size. So yeah. there's there's more to power than just being big and strong. Um, strong obviously helps, and big doesn't hurt. But uh, you know you can you can hit home runs in the major leagues without uh, without being Aaron Judge sized for sure. It is fun when Aaron Judge hits a home run though, as long as it's not against the Red Sox. Oh, it's it's amazing and and it frustrating to watch too it's it's like uh yeah it's it's like it's like a wiffle ball when i i play wiffle ball in the backyard with my sons and sorry for this digression but um and there's there's like a, a big net that i put up mm. which is uh, where we hit home runs over and if you hit the ball straight away like right to dead center the net is really close mm-hmm. and if you hit it to the corners um it is far away obviously you know just the way physics works uh, so you can basically hit like a pop-up and if it goes, if it's to straightaway center field, it's going to go out. I feel like that's what Aaron judge does a lot. Like he doesn't <laughs> hit it that well, but he's so big and so strong and he hits it just well enough. And it's like a 7,000 foot pop-up that drops into the first row of the, um, of the right field stands in New York. And, uh, I, I want to pull out what's left of my hair. Yeah. It would be nice to, uh, be able to feel what it feels like to hit a baseball as Aaron judge. <laughs> that would be one of the things I would wish if I had a genie bottle. Would um, you rather do that, or would you rather be like uh, Chris Sale and, and blow someone away with a 99-mile-an-hour fastball? No, I, just, I, if you could do either one, just one time. If I could do either one, it would be it would be hitting a smoking a ball like 117 miles an hour and like 500 feet, just to see how little I even feel the ball as it hits my bat you know I, i'm always fascinated by like hearing guys talk about hitting a ball just perfectly on the screws mm-hmm. and they always talk about like how they don't notice the ball at all it's just like this perfect motion of man and ball flying out and it's it sounds glorious i really want to do that and i never have you, will. Ever, have you ever hit a home run before in in any softball baseball anything uh nope just wiffle ball so okay yeah it's uh that's my my claim to fame. So I've come <laughs> close, but uh, yeah, never. I was more of a uh, line drive guy. So oh yeah, uh, I was I was more of a strikeout guy. Oh yeah, I, trust me. Yeah, I was there I, too. I, I did hit a home run once in uh, in softball, which I'm sure you know is is a is a different thing. The ball's different, the bat's different, etc. But I remember when I hit it, and I will, of course, never forget it because it's the only home run I've ever hit and the only one I ever will hit. Um, when I hit it, I thought I'd hit, like, a line drive down the left field line. Mm-hmm. And I was very excited, and I ran out of the box. And I didn't realize until I got to second base that I had, I had hit it, like, 15 feet over the fence. 
and so, yeah, so you really do, or at least in that one instance, uh, I didn't, you, you don't feel it as well, or at least I didn't in that one instance. I didn't feel it. You just kind of do it and, whoa, wow. Matt, I have to be honest. I wasn't expecting you to be able to give me insight as to what it's like to be Aaron Judge, but here well, it no, happened. no, no. <laughs> let's let's back away from that. <laughs> All right. So I am six six and I do weigh two hundred and seventy pounds. But uh... <laughs> oh man, I, this is this is what I didn't know. Not having met you before in person, so we'll have to hang out and see each other. Um, right. <laughs> I will be the guy on stilts wearing a trench coat. <laughs> um, so I want to close the show uh, by kind of talking about some of your favorite things about the Red Sox season, maybe least favorite things, and just uh, going with some superlatives here because it's just been such a fun, interesting year to be a Red Sox fan. So the first thing I'll ask you, we'll start off positive. What has been your absolute favorite thing about this current Red Sox season? Well, I mean, just winning and winning and winning. Uh, it's uh, there's there's not been a team like this in you know in my lifetime, um, and I don't expect there will be another either. I mean, whether you know, regardless of how the the playoffs go, but it's it's kind of ridiculous how much they win, and how much they. I mean, and they win in every single different kind of way you can imagine. You know, they win close games, they win blowouts. Um, they come back when they're down by a lot. They come back when they're down by a little. They come, they win games when they can't hit. They win games when they can't pitch. They win games when they can't field Jake. They they just win. That's the end result of every single Red Sox game. It feels like, and it's uh, yeah, that's that's uh, always it's always fun to win, right? Um, another thing is is watching Mookie Betts. Um, and it's sort of this. This actually sort of bleeds into my next, the the one downside, I guess, is it's kind of amazing to watch him, and when when you see him make an out, I'm I'm surprised. When I see him strike out, he had an at bat. I want to say last week, leading off the game, where the pitcher threw. I think it was against Cleveland, but maybe it was. I don't know. Anyway, first two pitches were like fastballs right over the plate, and he took them both. Strike one, strike two. The next pitch was, I don't even know what it was, and it was up and away. It was nowhere near the strike zone, and he swung and missed at it. That was it. Three pitches, and he was out, first out of the game. And I was flabbergasted. Like, everybody hasn't bad at bat, right? Everybody. But not Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts never has bad at bats. No, he never does. It's so <laughs> weird does. when he, when he and, flails. And he's been flailing a little bit lately, and it's just like, it's bit. jarring to see. It is, and that's just how amazing he's been, right? That that when he has a, a bat at bat, I am just shocked by it, because so, he he hits the ball well all the darn time, and so that's that's kind of the the same thing, like uh, you know, with the team it is the sort of negative blowback that you get when the team loses. Right? I want to ask you here to uh, as a follow up to this on Mookie Betts, yeah. can you compare? watching Mookie Betts this year to your enjoyment levels of watching, say, 97 to 2000, Nomar Garcia Parra when he was incredible, or... Uh, I was just going to bring up Nomar. I swear to God I was. <laughs> it really, it, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, so I, let's just stick with that comparison. I won't bring Pedro into the equation because he's a pitcher and it's just different. But, it's like, different, yeah. 
that's probably the most superlative sort of four-year stretch that we've seen from a Red Sox hitter in, in a long time. Um, how would you compare those two? What's What's been more enjoyable to watch? I don't know if you can, can even choose between the two. Oh, I can't possibly choose. Yeah, I mean, I I knew a lot less about baseball at that time too, but it just felt like Nomar would step in and he would go through that ridiculous process of adjusting and readjusting <laughs> yep. absolutely every part of clothing that was attached to him. <laughs> and the pitcher would throw something, and it would be nowhere near the plate, and he would club it off the wall. Yeah. And that it was like, all right, rinse, repeat. It just felt like he was hitting a double every single time. Like every out he made was just on a line, you know. Um, yeah. And and Betts is is similar. Um, I'd be interested to go back and look at some of Nomar's stats from those years because I, I haven't really done that and you know to see what you know his line drive rate was. I don't even know if that kind of data exists, but uh, you know whatever batted ball data they have, I would be curious to uh, to see because I, I I bet his line drive rate was you know no kidding ninety eight percent right I mean <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every ball I hit is a line drive uh, I. I think that uh, maybe his most impressive seasons were uh, 99-2000, though, when Nomar sort of figured out how to be a patient hitter in addition to just being enormously physically gifted uh, because Mm -hmm. during those seasons, um, the guy had 42 and 51 doubles, respectively, uh, while hitting over 20 home runs and stealing bases and batting over 350 both of those years while playing a pretty decent shortstop. So. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. That, I mean, that's special. Do you know in 2000 he struck out 8.3 percent of the time and walked 10.2 percent of the time? That's Mookie esque. It's it is, and I mean strikeouts were harder to get back then. They were you know fewer. Now that's it's a lot. You know the the league environment is much different. There are a lot more strikeouts. Um, but good God, yeah, yeah. Um. So so sad what happened to that man. Uh, but in any case, uh, yes. So, you know, watching watching Mookie is 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 a privilege and a joy and one that um, we shouldn't take for granted. In fact, I wrote an article about that. Don't take Mookie for granted. Um, and you know, one of the great things about Mookie, which is not really true of J.D. Martinez, is that he uh, he's so young that you can reasonably look at him and go, well, he could have another year like this next year. He could have another year like this the year after that. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, there's another gear in there. In which case, what? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to imagine a uh, another gear uh, in, in this season that he's having. Because yeah. when you really look at Mookie's totality, he's hitting the ball hard, he's stealing bases, he's a smart base runner, he's a gold glove defender, he is what baseball player should be, you know. He's he's the he's the yeah. ultimate right now. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, what about your least favorite thing about this season? Do you have I, any annoyances or maybe guys that you thought were going to do well that didn't do well, or people who've been frustrating to watch or anything like that? Um, well, I mean, I I, I think the media environment has been more negative than I would like for a team this good. It, I kind of wonder how much, cause you know, the, the Patriots just win all the friggin' time. 
right? Yeah, right. And and you can do that in football, right? There's there's the, the physical domination of of football doesn't exist in most other sports, certainly not in baseball. You just can't win that much in baseball. Um, and there's so many games that, you know, like the best teams lose 50, 60, you know, 70 times almost. That's a lot of losing uh, for a great team. And I, I feel like we and myself included certainly, you know, get caught up in, you know, in the negativity of, of those losses. Um, far more than we should. And that's, that's a personal regret uh, in, in addition to a, a complaint, I guess. Yeah, and I uh, think that's a complaint that's shared by a lot of people who cover the game in some way, you know, whether that's writing for a blog or, you know, writing, you know, for the paper or whatever it is that you do, yeah. whether it's podcasting, covering the minutia of a team throughout the entire season you see this great, beautiful juggernaut of a team like this Red Sox team for all of its glory and all of its faults and yeah. uh, all of those little things. And uh, unlike those you know, wonderful years in 99 and 2000 when you were just enjoying the greatness of Nomar, you're enjoying the greatness of Betts, but you're also noticing when he hits 174 and doubles his strikeout rate over a two-week stretch. Um, which is just not something that you would do uh, if you were a casual fan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, I think it's in baseball anyway, it's almost always good to step back and think about where things are in the grand scheme. And, you know, the Red Sox obviously have some injury concerns right now. Beyond that, there's really nothing to worry about. You know, um, you can worry about the playoffs and, There'll be time to do that in the playoffs for sure, and I will join you when you're worrying. Um, but my God, this team is just so good, and people should just be enjoying it because next year ain't gonna be like this because it just doesn't fall like this every time. No, um, it sure does not. The other thing uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention is Dustin Pedroia, who very unfortunately, and I'm a big Pedroia fan, um, and I feel bad that he hasn't been able to be a part of this team. Um, not just because it might have made the team a little bit better, and I, I think it would, but just because, it, you know, he's never been, he's been on lots of really good teams, lots of teams that have had postseason success, but, you know, this is just such a one you know, shooting star, once a lifetime kind of kind of gig, and, and he was right there for it, and, and then his body kind of gave out on him, and and now, uh, and he's he's missing this kind of this kind of great thing, you know. Yeah, I, and you know that how much that kills a guy like Pedroia too. Oh yeah, I I'm sure he's just in agony all the time. <laughs> yeah, that um, is tough. I'm glad you brought that up because that's not something that we think about much, especially when we now get to watch the great defensive Ian Kinsler in his spot. Yeah, it's nice that they were able to go out and and you know make a move like that. It's so under the radar too, like. Nobody had really talked about adding Kinsler, and all of a sudden, whoop, there he is. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's sad that that spot was even open. So we'll close with this, and I will let you uh, decide whether or not this is a positive or negative surprise. But biggest surprise to you about this Red Sox season? Most unexpected thing? Um, well, I'll probably just end up repeating myself. I mean, I, I think I think it's just all the winning that they're doing. You know, it's it's just not 
I don't know how you could look at the team and you could certainly look at the team in, you know, in, in late March and go, this is a 95 win team. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a AL East winning team. Um, I don't think you could look at this team and go, this is a 115 win team. I, I don't, I don't understand how anyone could do that. I know the numbers certainly didn't say that. Right. Um, you know, the projection certainly didn't say that. Um, so I think just all the winning has just been the, the biggest the biggest surprise to me. You know, I, I kind of expected Alex Cora to be a good manager, and he's been a good manager. Um, I expected the team to be good. They've, they've been really, really good. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I would go. Can I throw that question right back at you? And I'd love to hear your, your opinion. Yeah, I, I, when I think about it, um, two things come to mind, and I'll go one positive and one negative. Um, I did not think that there was any possibility that Chris Sale could get better. Um, <laughs> and when he has been pitching, you know, injury aside, um, he's been better than he was last year. And watching Sale uh, reminded me of watching Peak Pedro last year and just the attitude that he brings to the mound every day and uh, it just really kind of reminded me how special it is when your team has a, a true ace. And we've seen some really, really good pitchers uh, on the Red Sox over the years and guys that dominated in the postseason like Josh Beckett and John Lester. And those were all special pitchers, but not in the same vein as a Chris Sale or Pedro Martinez. So the fact that he was able to step it up this year, uh, I thought was really interesting and then conversely uh, to that, um, I think Craig Kimbrell has been my biggest disappointment because of just how historically great he was last year, um, yeah. that he has sort of reverted back to uh, the the 2016 version of himself uh, this year uh, has, has been a little disappointing because uh, I think, like most people, uh, you just got so used to automatic Craig Kimbrell uh, after last year that uh, seeing him not be able to find his release point frequently uh, is just very jarring still, and I haven't gotten used to it, and I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on uh, on both those points. I think I think the sale one is is very very accurate. Um, he's. Do you remember Jake at the beginning of the year? Not you specifically complaining, but the complaints that existed about Chris Sale's fastball and how he lost his velocity and yep yeah I was at the uh, game where he pitched against Severino in early April when it was like 40 degrees and he was throwing uh -huh. 89 miles an hour on his fastball so, yeah yeah <laughs> I totally remember <laughs> and then I was also at a Chris Sale start later in the season in July when he was hitting 100 on the gun so that was that was nice to see. Yeah, yeah. I, but I think it's just illustrative. Illustrative? It, it, it illustrates um, how we tend to get... Because we have all this information, we have all this this data at our fingertips that we can, we can pull at and break apart into even smaller pieces of information. And sometimes we just need to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and just not, watch the and damn games. Watch the game and... and uh, and don't worry as much. I mean, yes, I, I could go on a longer rant, but I will, because uh, the truth is I am as guilty of doing it as anyone else. So, And I will probably continue to be as guilty as anyone else. Uh, but, uh, yeah, well, but I, I think there's definitely something to that. 
we are all better for your data mining because we get to read your articles, Matt, and uh, and share your insights. So. Oh, you're is, too nice. Thank you. It's very good for all of us. So. Um, <laughs> All right, so that about does it for the podcast today. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, and I hope you did, um, please go on and rate and review us. We've uh, got 25 ratings now, and uh, we've got four and a half stars on there. So, guys, keep the uh, keep the good feelings coming. We appreciate that. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Matt at MattyMatty2000. You can follow me at, at DevJake. You can follow the Over the Monster account for all your latest Red Sox news at, at Over the Monster. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show as well on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Matt, this has been a pleasure, and I uh, wish you luck uh, covering the team for the rest of the season, and I uh, hope to have you on again soon. Absolutely, Jake. Thanks so much for having me on, and uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, I hope to, uh, to be back sometime in the near future.